Good morning, good afternoon, whatever time of day it is that you are listening. Thank you very, very much for listening. The date today is the 15th of February, year of our Lord, 2020. Welcome to another episode of Shoot the J. As I sit here in my Chicago apartment, it's Saturday of All-Star Weekend. We got the dunk contest, the three-point contest, and the skills competition coming up in just a few hours. I will not be making my predictions on here, as they will become stale and probably wrong within the next few hours. Probably going to tweet out my picks. I have no idea. Today, you're looking at the title. You're thinking, Nick, are you pandering to, to Kings fans? Are you selling out a little bit? Well, I got to create content for everybody. To be fair, I was probably going to make this episode at some point anyways. Feels like a pretty good time to do it now. So here we are, the Sacramento Kings. I really tried to spin this in multiple ways. I tried to say, Nick, I want to make an episode giving Kings fans hope. Give them something to look forward to. Folks, I tried. I don't know if I can necessarily do that. I think here and there I can give you some pieces, some little nuggets of, okay, we can we can hang on to that and maybe look forward to something in longevity. But short-term success, I don't quite know if you're going to see that. Now, with that said, I will give the Kings props because they're on a little bit of a, I don't want to say a hot streak right now, but you, you, you beat the Miami Heat, you beat the Clippers, you beat the Spurs, and you competed very, very well with the Milwaukee Bucks in Pfizer form. And earlier this year, you also took Miami to overtime. So the the competition is there. Like, the Kings don't have a problem competing. Well, sometimes they do. But in these big games, they've shown that they are capable of showing up. As it currently stands, the Sacramento Kings are in this really weird and unfortunate limbo. And it's pretty on brand for me to tie them to the Detroit Pistons. But that's actually exactly where they are. The Kings today are in a weird situation similar to what the Pistons were in a season ago. Now, I don't have it in front of me. I probably should have looked this up. I don't recall exactly what the Pistons were uh, a season ago. I don't remember what they were at the All-Star break. But the Sacramento Kings currently uh, are 21-33. and 33. Okay, I know for a fact the Pistons were not 12 games away from being 500, and I know that the Pistons were not seven games out of the eighth seed. The reason I'm saying this is because the Kings have made it relatively clear that they're going to try to push for the playoffs. Harrison Barnes uh, saying he's not going to cut his hair, shave his face until the Kings either reach 500 or make the playoffs. We'll see how that pans out. The Kings taking this direction I don't think should upset fans all that much, and here's why. This draft class, as the sentiment has been shared globally, isn't, it's, it's very underwhelming. It's not that great. There aren't too many product, products outside of the top three that are going to excite people too much. If you ask me, I think like Theo Maldon and Obi Toppin are like the best players in this draft. Killian Hayes is great. Um, to me, I think Obi Toppin is like the gem, and he's only projected to go like fourth. I know that's still super high. I think he should be number one, but it is what it is. So whether or not the Kings decide to gun for that top pick, a top pick, or kind of fall back into the late lottery, I don't think it's going to matter all that much. As it stands, the Kings currently have the 10th best odds to land the number one overall pick at 4%. Now, is it 4%? I'm sorry, it's 3%. It's even worse. We learned last year with the Pelicans, you do not have to be historically bad with the new lottery structure in order to land a top pick. You don't have to be Sam Hinkie, Philadelphia 76ers-esque terrible. The Pelicans won 33 games and were rewarded with Zion Williamson, the best product, the best draft product since LeBron James. So it's not such a bad consolation to be like bad, but like not, you know, historically, colossally, colossally terrible. Um, whether or not the Kings decide to do whatever, it's not really going to make that big of a difference. Here's, I think, a real problem. 
the Sacramento Kings, I don't really know who they even go for in the draft whenever the time comes. Because let's say hypothetically, let's say the Kings get a top pick. Let's let's just do that route first. I don't want James Wiseman on this Kings team because I don't want there to be sort of a holding each other back kind of vibe going with him and Bagley, unless you're putting Bagley at the four and Wiseman at the five. Um, I don't know if I want my backcourt being, you know, between 19 and like 22 years old. I, that's just not really something that I, I, maybe if you're just setting yourselves up for longevity, I think that that's actually not that bad of an idea. I don't want LaMelo Ball on this team because with the exception of Corey Joseph, I do not want now two ball dominant point guards with LaMelo and De'Aaron, uh, who both have really wonky shot selection, very questionable shot selection at times. LaMelo is a great facilitator. So is De'Aaron. I don't know that they would complement each other all that well. I don't think you would obviously have to stagger them. They could not play on the court at the same time. Um, Obi Toppin, I think is, is the crown jewel for this Kings franchise. If that's who, if they were able to land Obi Toppin, shut it down. The Kings are going to be sweet. But other than that, I don't really know who you go for. I think maybe you look at these hybrid combo guards who can play the two, play the three. I think you're looking for a forward. I think is inevitably what you're going to want. If you're a Kings fan, um, maybe Vernon Carey from Duke, even though he's a four five, I don't know, whatever it is. I think most teams are going to kind of crap out in this draft anyway. So I'm not too focused on that. What I would be focused on if I'm a Kings fan. This summer, the Sacramento Kings will have around $20 million in cap space to play with, with around-ish half of their roster coming off of the books. Most notably, Ken Bazemore, Bogdanovich, and Harry Giles. I think a majority of that $20 million is probably going to go and will go to Bogdanovich. I'd say, because right now he's making $8 million, uh, about around $8.5 million. I think it's probably going to be the same. I think if, if the Kings are lucky, Vladi Divac is really good at getting players to sign backloaded contracts. And I love that so much. I wish it was more of like a prevalent happening in the NBA. Buddy Heald, for example, he's on one. Uh, when his extension kicks in next summer, he'll be making uh, uh, $24 million. By the end of it, when he's like 31, He'll only be making 18 and a half. That's Reggie Jackson money. Harrison Barnes is on the same thing. $24 million this season. By the time he's done in four years, he's going to be 30, 31 years old. He's only going to be making just over $18 million. It's so good. It's, it's so beneficial to teams to sign players to these backloaded contracts. And I wish that players were more, were less reluctant. How should I phrase that? Yeah, less reluctant to sign them. Even if you aren't able to, this is probably what you're thinking is, Nick, Sacramento Kings, notoriously not great at signing these high-profile free agents. And to be fair, this free agent class also isn't all that great. It's 2021 that you want to set yourselves up for when the Kings are going to have a lot of money as it stands. Now, to be fair, they also haven't signed De'Aaron Fox to an extension yet, which they'll be eligible to do next season. And he'll probably be on the same one that Buddy Heald is currently on and expect it to be backloaded as well because he's going to get paid. If, even if the Kings can't sign these marquee free agents, which they won't be able to, what it does, and again, tying them back to the Pistons, what cap space gives you is options. Maybe you can't sign the free agents that you want to sign, but you can A, get these complimentary pieces, i.e. Harrison Barnes or Trevor Reza, who it was good that the Kings got his contract off the books because I never agreed with it from day one. I don't know why these teams keep paying Tre Trevor Reza all this money. Uh, he's been fine. Like, he's always been just solid, but not the not for the money that he keeps getting paid. His agent is, he deserves a Pulitzer Prize. He's insane. Probably not the award that I'm looking for. Maybe a Nobel Peace Prize. Whatever. 
What it does is it gives you options. For example, and this is the situation that the Pistons are in, where with Andre Drummond no longer being on the team, they no longer have to worry about him opting into his $28 million player option for the 2020-2021 season, so that gives them that $28 million to kind of play around with. No, Detroit's not going to sign free agents, but it allows you to take back bad contracts in a trade in order to land an asset. For example, if the Pistons wanted to, and this is completely hypothetical, this would never happen, if the Pistons were somehow able to maneuver a trade where they get you know, uh, uh, Alan Crabb's contract, who he's, I know he's not in Atlanta anymore. This is pre-trade deadline. Like Alan Crabb's contract and Chandler Parsons' contract in order to get, like, I don't know, Cam Reddish or uh, 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 DeAndre Hunter. Like something like that where you are benefit, you're, you're, both teams are benefiting because they're getting these bad contracts off the book, but the other team is also getting one of the popular assets. You get what I'm saying. I kind of, I phrased that a little, little funny, but you know what I mean. That's like the best example that I could give you. It just gives you options. It gives you flexibility to, to make moves to better your situation. So what exactly is the Kings situation? I think that they are in a predicament where they're in the West, which the narrative that the West is still marginally better than the East is inherently flawed, and it's never, it's, it just hasn't been true at any point this season. They're like The top three teams in each respective conference are really, really good, and then there's like the, like the middle two teams, which are like, okay, those guys are good, and then everybody else just sucks. Everybody else is just bleh. It's the same on both sides this year. So the Kings ceiling is what, 45 wins? I think that you can succeed with De'Aaron Fox, Buddy Heald, whoever you get in the draft. Maybe Harrison Barnes sticks around for a while. I sincerely doubt he's, I mean, he's not going to demand a trade. He's getting paid a lot of money. Harrison Barnes is such a good complimentary piece, and I wish that he was respected more for what he did for the Warriors dynasty than what he is. Like, if he wasn't as bad as he was in, I believe, the 2016 finals, I think that there would be a lot less, like, slander around Harrison Barnes' name. Which maybe I'm the only one who sees it, and maybe I'm just kind of blowing it out of proportion, which is entirely conceivable because I notoriously do that. But I wish Harrison Barnes was more respected uh, around the league. What I think is bizarre is this season, and this blew my mind, Buddy Heald has shot uh, 930 shots, and he's, I'm sorry, yeah, he's attempted 930, he's made 401. 56% of his made field goals are assisted. That makes sense, you know? Just De'Aaron Fox locating shooters, Corey Joseph finding them in the wings. Like, it, it makes sense. De'Aaron Fox has made 256 field goals, and only 20% of them are assisted. Now, there are two things, two major things that go into this. One, yes, De'Aaron Fox isolates quite a bit. Number two, which I would fix. Number two, uh, in a pick and roll, De'Aaron Fox is probably going to be the best. I mean, he just far and away is the best option in a, the best ball handler in a pick and roll situation. I feel like that's him being more confident in himself to get the ball in the basket rather than deferring to somebody else. So I'm not. That's not an isolation. I'm not considering that he's not waving everybody off. It's not a Derrick Rose clear everyone to the right side, give him his left hand. It's not one of those. I think it's just De'Aaron Fox being more confident in himself than he is in anybody else around him. So he's just going to rely on himself to get the job done. Which, is it working? I mean, yeah, he's shooting 46% this season. I think where it gets a little weird is if you catch De'Aaron Fox like 15 feet away from the basket, you got him right where you want him. Because he is not going to get it done from anywhere between like 10 and 15 feet away from the basket, De'Aaron Fox is terrible. These weird floaters, these weird like hybrid jumpers, he's shooting like 30% on the year. De'Aaron Fox 
has to develop more versatility, more consistency, uh, not even just with his shot, where, like, for example, he shot, like, 15 or 19 against Milwaukee, but still had a really good game. But, like, if he was able to actually be efficient and make his shots, I think the Kings would have obviously would have won that game. And I also think if it was in Golden 1 Center, I genuinely believe the Kings would have won that game. I texted that to Grant, actually, and he agreed, folks. So there you go. The man himself, Grant Napier, has spoken. De'Aaron Fox, Buddy Heald, Jabari Parker. Actually, I want to finish on on De'Aaron Fox very quickly. Another thing about De'Aaron, and I've said this before, his, like, the disparities on free throw attempts on a nightly basis, it's, like, off the charts sometimes. He's like the, and I've made this joke in, like, this is, like, the third consecutive episode, so I apologize. He's like the Jetty Osman of, like, free throws, where Jetty will score, like, 21 points on any given night and go, like, 7 of 9, and he's, like, sweet. But then the next night, he goes, like, 1 of 11 with 4 points, and, like, 3 of them came from the line. That actually doesn't make any sense, because where did that other point come from? You know what I mean, though. Where it's just so inconsistent, he just disappears sometimes. That's De'Aaron Fox from the line, where he'll go in one night, he'll have like 14 attempts from the line, the next he's going to have three, and then the next he's going to have seven, the next he's going to have two. Like, I wish he was able to more consistently use the bo- use his body the way that we know that he can. He can play above the rim, under the rim. He can, he's so good at getting to the basket with such uh, uh, tenacity. I wish he was less tentative to do that sometimes. With the Kings, trading Dwayne Dedman was essential. You had to do it. Your hands were tied. Not necessarily, but you might as well get the value while you can. I think it had been like two months removed from his trade request that he finally did get uh, dealt. And Alex Len Jabari Parker is by no stretch of the imagination bad. Like, that is good. I love that for the Kings. Mainly Jabari Parker. He has a team option next year for, I think, six and a half million. Or is it a player option? I'm sorry, it's, a, it's, a, it's definitely a player option for six and a half million. He's the scoring punch that the Kings can use. The problem is now you have Buddy Heald, uh, De'Aaron Fox, and Jabari Parker, who all have super questionable shot selection at times on the same team. Now, I will admit, ever since Jabari left Chicago, he's been really solid at not taking these long contested twos that just don't make any sense at all. I said this, another thing I said to Grant was like right after the trade happened. He has done a tremendous job, Jabari Parker, at disproving my theory that he is bad at basketball. Like, he's been really fun to watch this season. Um, Obviously, the knee uh, issues are a concern, tearing both ACLs. And shout-out to Garpax, man. I mean, fresh off of consecutive ACL tears in, in each knee, Garpax gives him two years, $40 million. And I know that there was a team option on the second year, but goodness gracious, man. Is that not indicative of what they've done for the last however long they've been in there? It feels like an eternity that they've been in the Bulls' front office. And I live here. I have to hear about it every single day how terrible guard packs is. Like, I don't already know, and I don't already think about it, and it doesn't already make me mad. So what is the king ceiling? Man, it's difficult. If you get, like, a 45-win season, I feel like you live with that. And now the question becomes, well, is Luke Walton the guy to get us to that point? In his first season, Luke Walton has been a very divisive uh, head coach. And I say divisive very loosely, where I feel like these like basketball purists who are on top of you know what's happening in the league and what's happening with the Kings, I feel like they don't really have a problem with what Luke Walton's doing because they slash we recognize it as a culture building, a foundational season. Like that's what this is, just kind of establishing 
himself as the king's coach, kind of building what he wants to build, while everybody else views it as um, incompetence. Like the Harry Giles situation, which I think he handled fine. I don't want to say he did great. I think he did fine. I don't think Kings fans should be so up in arms about Harry Giles playing 14 minutes one night and like 25 the next night. Pistons fans, we deal with that all the time with an assortment of players. We dealt with it with Christian Wood at the beginning of the season. We dealt with it with Luke Kennard for the last two years. We're dealing uh, dealing with it with Sekou right now. It's just kind of the flow of the game. And there are so many factors that go into it that are like behind the scenes things that we as fans don't know about, but people who are close to the team, like there's a reason that this stuff is happening. There's a reason Harry Giles will play 14 minutes one night and 25 the next. It's not just because Luke Walton hates him. He's not Jim Boylan. Like he doesn't forget that players are on the bench. Even Dwayne Casey did that at the beginning of the season with Christian Wood and he admitted it. And that was like the first time that I was like, Dwayne Casey, I'm disappointed in you. I think Luke Walton could be a guy, the guy who gets this Kings team to something. I don't know if he's going to be the guy that gets them over the hump, and I don't know how far down the road that hump will be, uh, what's the the word I'm looking for, achieved, surpassed. Um, That remains to be seen. It, there's the too too small of a sample size. Fifty games into the into his tenure as the tenor, tenure as the the Kings coach, it's too soon to tell. But I think people should relax. Um, I'm notoriously like I'm not a big Luke Walton guy, but I'm you know he's fine, and I I genuinely do not believe he's the issue. And I'm curious to know if I'm being naive to this or if it's just true. Is there somebody that Kings fans have in mind that they could conceivably land as their coach that they think would be doing a better job than Luke Walton? Because from what I see, what I read, and again, I I could be totally naive to this and maybe I just don't know. So inform me if I'm wrong. I will not be mad. I don't know that anybody could really be doing a better job than what Luke Walton is doing right now. I think the cohesion on the on on off or the, well rather the lack of cohesion on offense has more to do with the products that they have not so much what the coach is instilling in his players. If that even makes any sense at all. If I'm a Kings fan, I'm looking at this team as there could be something here. Right now, it's not. I hate to say it. I sincerely doubt that they're going to make the playoffs. I think being seven games out of the eighth seed, uh, you know, with like 30 games, 25 games left in the season, that's really difficult to do. You have a surging Pelicans team. You got a Spurs team that does not want to lose their streak. You got a Damian Lillard-led uh, Blazers team, and I know he's going to be out for like a week or two. I promise you Damian Lillard will do whatever he can to will that team to the playoffs. And obviously you have the Grizzlies right now in the eighth seed. Ahead of them, you have the Mavericks. If you think that the – I think the Grizzlies could conceivably maybe drop out uh, because I think they're only three games ahead – of the the trailblazers right now but Damian Lillard being hurt is actually really going to hurt their chances just across the board because I don't envision the Grizzlies losing a lot of games in the second half I don't know what their strength of schedule is maybe I'm completely off base with that but teams like the Mavericks teams like the Thunder that are ahead of them there's just no way that they're going to drop significantly enough and the Kings are going to surge significantly enough uh, to make the playoffs. And I think it's a foregone conclusion. I don't think this is going to offend too many people that know that it's not going to happen for the Kings this year. I genuinely believe whatever they're able to do in the draft, and again, it's not just a Kings thing. I don't think, I, I think a lot of teams are going to miss in the draft this year. Whatever they're able to do, more importantly, in free agency this year is really what it's going to come down to. 
and I don't know that maybe there hasn't been that much hope in years past, Harrison Barnes was a great signing. Trevor Ariza, in principle, was a great signing. It was the contract that I always thought was the problem. I never really thought it was a matter of production. I always thought Trevor Ariza could fit. It's surrounding De'Aaron Fox with more shooters. It's giving them more rim protection. Let me tell you something. Rashawn Holmes has been tremendous this year. I don't know how I haven't even mentioned him yet. He has been exceptional. I'm so, so happy that Rashawn Holmes, I wanted him in Detroit. Luckily, we got Christian Wood. I think I'd rather have Christian Wood. But Rashawn Holmes has been tremendous this year. So happy he finally has a home. He has a great fit with the Sacramento Kings. Good job. Good job getting him, you guys. You got to surround De'Aaron and Buddy with, with something. It's like you, you can't, and this is just reverting back to Luke Walton. I'll end on this. And I've said this about Dwayne Casey. You can't give Luke Walton a paperclip and a pack of gum and expect him to build a rocket ship. With that, folks, if you made it this far, thank you very, very much for listening. If there's anything I missed, please let me know. Maybe I'll address it in a future episode. Again, thank you so much for listening to this. It means the absolute world to me. If there's anything you'd like to hear me talk about in a future episode, again, just let me know. Uh, in an upcoming episode, I believe, hopefully on Tuesday, if at, at the very least, at the very latest, Wednesday, my first quote-unquote non-casual, high-profile guest on Shoot the J hasn't been recorded yet, but we did coordinate like when we're going to do it. Very excited for you guys to hear that. I have all my questions lined up for that. If you made it this far, thank you. And I will catch you guys in the next one.